Jesus talks about how his most famous prayer before um, his crucifixion in, uh, in John 17, he's praying that the church would be one, that we would be one. It was all about unity. Um, and so that's part of um, what I feel like happens with, with outpouring. Um, you know, when the Lord shows up, Pastors, we like to pretend like we know what's happening, but we have no idea. Seriously, this is the God of the universe. He spoke your atoms into existence, and he starts showing up in a room full of mere mortals with sin baggage and history, (laughs) and perfection shows up in the room, and it's going to get wild, right? Right? When Jesus came close to people who were demonized, what happened to those people? They, they did get free, but not before some shaking probably occurred. Some foaming at the mouth and falling to the ground and rolling around. And we don't want to glorify that kind of phenomena at all because it's really a demon just trying to embarrass a man or a woman. But regardless, what I'm saying is that when the Lord comes close... Anything inside that can be shaken will start shaking, and it's awesome. It's like that all-consuming fire is coming in for a hug. And any, anything that's not of him gets, gets burned up. Um, so, but we still like to pretend like we know what's going on um, and, uh, and how to pastor it and be like, oh, yes, I've, I've seen this before. No, we have no, like... He's going to do something that we've never seen before. That's just his MO. When the Lord shows up, um, people are uh, usually offended by, by what's going on. Uh, and it's often, I've heard this said uh, multiple, multiple times, but Randy Clark recently came through and said it, but often the members of the last outpouring of God are the biggest enemies of the current outpouring of God because it didn't look the way it did back then. And we, we just can't have that in us. We have to have that mentality like, Jesus, I'm in it for the weird stuff. Seriously, I've been in church for more than 30 years. I've been a part of a lot of boring church meetings. So it's really easy for me to say, God, I'm in it for some weird stuff. Because if I have to endure another boring church meeting, seriously, um, Jesus, uh, the first thing that he saved was not a man or a woman. It was a party that needed more wine. We, we love to talk about this um, because there's just something that is absolutely transformative when we realize there's a God who likes to have fun. That he's not all about fire and mountains shaking and his voice twisting up oaks and cedars. He actually does like to have fun too. So why did Jesus turn water into wine? Everybody had already drank all the wine. Why would he make more? I I think it's for the complex answer that um, he wanted the party to keep going. He wanted his friends to, uh, to keep in enjoying the evening 
And, um, and this, on a more serious note, he loves to change the nature of normal things into something that's fit for a wedding. The first miracle of Israel when they left Egypt was that they, for three days, had no water. This would be a very terrible nature hike. They had no granola bars, no cliff bars. They had pregnant women, livestock, three days, okay? They came to this oasis, and they're thinking, hallelujah, we have water. And they went to drink it, and it was poison. It was very bitter water. And so great, they were greatly distraught. And uh, God told Moses, take this stick and throw it on the water. And Moses, uh, in front of the nation, (laughs) grabbed the stick. I don't know how big it was. It could have honestly been like a tree trunk. We have no idea. But he grabs some some stick and throws it on the water, and the water becomes sweet, and they were able to drink it. And it was a prophetic picture. It was a sign that um, the cross was going to be thrown on the bitter waters of humanity, making us sweet. So Jesus comes along. And for a little while, uh, he was in Egypt, right? And he came up out of there. His ministry's going now, and his very first miracle, actually before his ministry's going, his very first miracle, to kick it all off, he finds some water. And he turns it into something sweet. See, when, when the Israelites ran into that bitter water in the city of Marah, um, God turned it into something drinkable. He turned poison into something of sustenance. But when Jesus came along, he turned something of, su- of sustenance into something of drunkenness. He turned something that was just to hydrate humanity and turned it into something that intoxicates humanity. I'm not condoning drinking in the natural here. The wine represents the Holy Ghost. He's about to pour out some new wine. It's going to get wild. So Jesus actually finds this water, um, well, the, the people around him find it, but the, it's, it's in six jars, six, actually, they're giant, like, jugs. I did the math one time, it ended up being something like more than 500 gallons. Um, but what is the, okay, so there's six, like, clay stone pots. What does the number six represent? Jesus found water stored up in man. And he came to transform it. Lord, um, a couple of years ago, told me three things about Cana. And uh, this is what he said. He said, uh, we often try to turn wine back into water. In fact, for 2,000 years, the church has taken wine and tried to turn it back into water. We've been trying to uh, turn Jesus into a gentleman. 
we've been taking something that was meant to be enjoyed and we've been trying to turn it into something that's meant to be understood. It's, it's like the, the Lord, he, the Holy Spirit really wants to show up sometimes, but he's like, oh, are they going to turn my showing into a doctrine? Are they going to analyze it, blog about it, reproduce it, repackage it, and try to do it somewhere else? Because that'll wear me out. <laughs> Honestly, the Holy Spirit wants to show up, but he often has to hold back because he knows that we're going to turn it into a monument instead of a movement. He also told me, uh, this is the second thing he told me about Cana, any, any water that doesn't turn into wine means Jesus isn't at that party yet. In other words, the washing of the water of the word. Who in here wants to be brainwashed? We think brainwashing is bad because we've seen Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and uh, TV shows like 24, but... Um, <laughs> God actually wants to do, he wants to do a real brainwashing. He wants this thing to infiltrate every area, permeate every synapse and firing electron in our brain. <laughs> he wants us brainwashed by the water of the word. He wants us to store up water in us, in a pot. And um, even if we don't understand it, There'll be times like when you're reading through the word and you just don't get it. Just store it up, sister. Store it up, brother. Because Jesus is going to come to that party and he's going to find the wine or the water and turn it into wine. In fact, uh, word is pre-wine. This is actually meant to bring intoxicating joy to us. Any... Uh, any theology or thought or doctrine that we come up with that does not lead to overwhelming hope, peace, and joy should be thrown out. Any thought in our brain that doesn't lead to hope is a lie. Um... There's a lot of times when uh, I'll get something, what I feel like is, you know, really great from, uh, from the word, and I'll just, I'll throw it out there before Jesus came to that party. In other words, I'll, I'll have some, like, great, cool, what I would consider revelation, and, you know, you, you put it out there, and really, it just makes you look smart. And that kind of knowledge is knowledge that puffs up, Right? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So um, I, would, uh, I would encourage you that as you're, as you're reading this incredible library of books about encounter and mystical adventures with Jesus and, um, and ideas for living a healthy life with Christ, this incredible library, as you're reading it, invite Jesus to come and turn all that water into wine so that you can release love. There's this, um, 
there's this great line that um, it, it actually sounds a lot like wisdom, but it but it's not, and it's it's this. If you can't find it in scripture, then throw it out. And honestly, like that that mentality, it, it comes from um, good intentions, uh, intentions to keep people out of error and maintain a, a safe environment. But um, usually, and pretty much almost always, it is fear masquerading as reverence. See, the problem um, with, with that sentence, is if you can't find it in Scripture, then you have to throw it out, is that this book has a beginning and end, but our God has neither. This book actually alludes, not, not alludes, it very clearly says that you're going to do greater things than, than what's found in this book. At the end of the book of John, it says that if you were to write down everything Jesus did, not the libraries in the whole world would be able to contain the books to be written. It says that God is a God of above and beyond all that we can ask or imagine. But I know what, I know what people are, are trying to say when they say, if you can't find it in scripture, then throw it out. I know what they're trying to say, in essence, if it's not just straight up a demonic uh, fear, what they're trying to say is, if it doesn't add up to the truth found in Scripture, then throw it out. See, this, this is the most anointed book ever written. When you read it, it's so anointed that you can meet the author. Every letter in this book Every jot and diddle (laughs) actually carries spiritual force on it, an invitation that can escort you into the room of the person who wrote it. Uh, It is not designed to contain God. It is designed to reveal God. And even if you, if you think about who the, the, the New Testament, all those books, who they were written to, they were written to people who already had a relationship with the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit to understand it. They weren't written to people outside of the church. In other words, um, you actually need a relationship with the Holy Spirit in order to get what you're supposed to get from this. I'm not going to ask you like by a show of hands or anything because um, it would get awkward in here. But, you know, just think about this. Uh, Is the Bible more important than the Holy Spirit to you? Or is the Holy Spirit more important than the Bible to you? Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying throw out any of this. I absolutely love this book, especially this one. I've had it for like 17 years. It's got all my ridiculous writings in it from when I was like a uh, 14 year old boy trying not to lust after girls. And I'm writing in the column, Jesus help me. And, uh, (laughs) every word in this book is useful for teaching and preaching and rebuking and training in all righteousness. It is completely without error. 
But the people that wrote it didn't have it. Our first century church, they, did not, they didn't have the New Testament. They had a relationship with the Holy Ghost. If you were like stranded on an island and your Bible went down with the boat, I would venture to say that if you were stuck there for any amount of time, you'd end up being much closer to God than when you started. Right? Don't you think you'd start to rely on the Holy Ghost pretty heavily? And you'd develop a relationship with the living God, which is what we were always meant to have. See, if, um, if we believe that... Um, if you can't find it in scripture, then you have to throw it out. Then you'd have to throw out just about every outpouring in history because weird stuff happened that's not in that book. I mean, I, I told this to the students the other day, but at the turn of the century, Smith Wigglesworth was on stage in some city in England. Can I get a woot woot, Richard? He, um, he's from England. Um, Smith Wigglesworth in front of a bunch of people, was handed a dead baby, which he decided to drop kick, And the baby landed alive and crying. Um, I've, I've really scoured the, this book, but I can't find a dropkick the dead baby anointing in here. Holy Spirit. My, um, I mean, there's just been crazy stories. A guy who's actually preached here has kicked a tumor out of someone. Yeah, the, uh, I heard the, the ushers at the event literally had to pick up this t- gelatinous tumor off the floor after... <laughs> This chick was healed. I have, okay, guys, I have a friend who um, started and developed really bad migraines. She's been here many times. Um, and she, uh, she came from a, a church and a history where they didn't, they didn't understand or agree uh, with uh, the activities of the Holy Spirit for today. I'll just leave it at that. But she had debilitating migraines, and so she got to the point where she didn't care. She was going to go find a Christian healer. So she goes to a conference, and, and long story short, um, she's um, standing in the foyer, and this woman who is actually leading the conference finds her and says, you came for healing, didn't you? And she's got her husband and a couple other people who are with there. They actually came to be witnesses against the heresy that was preached in the meeting. And, and so this woman with the debilitating migraine said, yes, I did come to be healed, um, and so this woman uh, lays hands on her, and this pretty, had-it-all-together, Highland Park, Park Cities-type soccer mom hits the ground, starts slithering like a snake. Bonnie Shavda, who happened to be the healer, took her Bible and slammed it into her belly and said, By the word of God and the Spirit of Christ, I command every unclean spirit to come out. And this sweet lady puked up three white eggs that were covered in red dots in front of a whole bunch of people that didn't believe in the works of the Holy Ghost. 
that would be an interesting day. Um, I haven't found anything like that in the Bible. Which, like, it's so fun to walk with Jesus. Like, he has adventures for us up his sleeve that go above and beyond anything that we've read. But if, if it's not found in Scripture, it, you have to throw it out. If you believe that, then, you, then that woman didn't have a real encounter with God. That She just happened to shove three white eggs into her belly to puke them up later on for a show. <laughs> oh, by the way, she was completely healed. The, the migraines ended that moment. She was delivered of some unclean spirit that made her slither like a snake. And Cool. I'm all about that. Come on, Jesus. I had a friend that went to uh, Germany on a mission trip and they went to an area of Germany that had a lot of gypsies. Um, and uh, she ended up ministering to this one guy <clears throat> with a translator there. And she didn't know really what to pray. Um, and so she just started praying in tongues. And this this German man begins to weep um, pretty vociferously, and um, <laughs> thank you, dictionary.com. Um, and <clears throat> through the translator, she finds out that what, when she thought she was praying in tongues, she was actually praying for this man in his gypsy German dialect, praying for family members by name. That you actually kind of can find in the Bible, at the, <laughs> the outpouring in, a, in Acts 2. Um, I'm not going to uh, preach uh, something, <clears throat> at least I, I sure hope not. Um, I, I, I'm not going to preach something that's going to leave us wide open to fall into some kind of delusion. We are not... Uh, we're not worshiping the phenomenon. We're not worshiping the healing. We're, we're worshiping the healer. And um, central to our message is always, always, always friendship with Jesus. Grow in friendship with this man. And what happens when you grow in friendship with uh, a man like Jesus is that you end up getting in situations that Jesus got himself into. You're, you're, going, to, you're going to cast demons out of people. It's going to be awesome. In fact, that's like entry-level kingdom come. Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the like, pinky finger of God, <laughs> then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, like this is beginner-level stuff. When the kingdom starts to invade a, a city through us, it means that we are going to be displacing members of the domain of darkness. In other words, Satan and his critters, they're going to get pushed out, right? Light and darkness can't dwell. Light always wins. The control spirit is a really bad leader. And, um, and it's really the first thing that, that tries to rear up in anyone... It, in a church meeting when things get out of hand. You want to you, you cap it, stifle it, 
take the the chick that's barfing up a demon into the back room. Like you want to <laughs> seriously, like we or you know, the Holy Spirit shows up and and worship so intensely. Everyone runs to the front. There's people rolling all around. Matthew starts levitating. Some chick runs across the room screaming and slams into the wall. You're like, this is a church meeting. But, but if you if you got that control spirit going on, then you're going to try to be like, okay, moving on. Like, great worship, guys. Let's give the worship band whew, a hand here. Uh, let's talk about offering. <laughs> right? The control spirit's a terrible leader. The control spirit will put people into so much fear that they end up having more faith in the enemy's power to deceive us than the Lord's ability to lead us. And really, when you're, um, when you're at a wedding, like that wedding in Cana, um, who are the people out on the dance floor? Who are the ones really enjoying the wedding? Drunkards and wine bibbers. Again, I'm not endorsing drinking. Have you ever been, have you ever gone to a wedding and, you know, you were going through a phase and you were the judger? Or you were, you know, scared or uptight, insecure about the way you dance? I would venture to say that you uh, you would look back on that wedding and have some regrets, like you really missed out on an opportunity to cut loose, right? Anybody, anybody else other than me ever had thoughts like this or those school dances? Um, I want to be a people that, a church, a people, a holy generation. I want to be a church that loves the Holy Ghost. When he shows up, we're going to get we're going to get every drop that he brought. And then we're going to multiply it and the party's going to keep going. Um that that message that Tracy gave recently was super powerful when she was talking about on the, the, the famous on the road to Emmaus story, there are two disciples walking along. This is after, the, uh, after Jesus was crucified. They didn't yet know that he had risen from the dead. Jesus shows up on the road with his two disciples, but he was in disguise. And um, so they didn't recognize him. But they walked along the way, and Jesus, um, in disguise, started preaching probably the best message they had ever heard. He started unveiling the person of Jesus from the Old Testament. He basically was showing him all the, all the Jesus cameos and every place that it prophesied of his coming. He was enlightening their eyes and, and they got to the place where they're going and, and I'm sure at this point they're like, this was the coolest hitchhiker in the world. Like, I'm so glad we pulled over and picked this guy up. <laughs> And when they got to the place where they were going, Jesus indicated that he would have gone further with them. In other words, if Jesus shows up, 
we throw out our destination plan. We throw out our end time, like 845. No, who cares? Let's go all night. Like the Holy Spirit is doing something awesome. And I'm not saying we hype it up or like force something or whatever. Uh, you, you can't twist God's arm, but I do know that from James that when you draw close to God, he draws close to you. We can position our hearts to be on a pilgrimage towards glory land. And as we are going towards him, he is coming towards us. It's not about stirring something up. It's about recognizing something that Christ has already done. That he lives inside of us. That um, If we were tried to try to run away from the Holy Spirit, it would be like trying to run away from our own skeleton. Right, Vince? Stole it right from Vince. You cannot escape your kidneys. Um, he's, he's in there. But there are things that we do to honor his presence. You know, the Holy Spirit appreciates being appreciated. He's a person, not an it, even though it is part of his name, spirit. He is Holy Spirit, spear person, spear man. <laughs> He, he loves when we appreciate him and when we recognize that he's here. Paul prayed this prayer, open our eyes. Open the eyes of our hearts. Did you know that your ticker has peepers? <laughs> the eyes of your heart. Your heart dwells somewhere. Do you know where? Seated in heavenly places. So what happens when uh, the eyes of your heart open? You, you start to see from heavenly places. You start to see the heavens all around you. That what, it, what it meant when the veil was torn, not, it, it doesn't mean that, that Jesus is just a door. It means that the veil between the natural and supernatural has been torn which means that this very podium could lead to an encounter with God if you had eyes to see. Paul talks about this in Romans. He said, the invisible attributes of God's glory are clearly seen throughout all of creation. <sighs> Jesus ripped that old veil so that we could go back to walking with God in the cool of the day. Not in some like once in a lifetime kind of dream that we had that, you know, we fasted for six months to get. Like we, we actually just get to enjoy this life. And when our eyes are open, life prophesies to us. Billboards start giving you the word of God. License plates start giving you the answer that you were looking for. You'll, you'll look at the clock and it'll be a, a scripture reference for the very thing that you were asking God for the answer for. We, we are a peculiar people, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. We're aliens and we're sojourners. You're, you're actually an alien in your own nation. You know that you're part of a kingdom that transcends every national border and ocean. 
that unites you as brothers and sisters with people of completely different races whom you've never met. You're part of the kingdom of God. And as ambassadors of Christ, you get to actually facilitate and administrate the rule of the kingdom wherever you are. So Holy Spirit, we want that really bad. We don't want hype. We've heard a lot of great messages. There's, there is a ton of water stored up in jars in this room, Jesus. Would you come to our party? Come to our party, Jesus, and find all this water. You said in Jeremiah 31 that the wine would release the dance of the merrymakers. We ask for the merrymakers. We ask for the dancing, the ridiculous joy again. Confidence. One of Vincent and my, our favorite verses where, uh, is it Paul and Silas, Barnabas? One of those guys, they were uh, testifying in front of all of these religious folks. And uh, it said that they knew they'd been with Jesus because of their confidence. Uh, do you know uh, one of the effects of alcohol on uh, men and women? Suddenly you believe that you're faster, stronger, and better looking than you actually are. <laughs> and you can take on enemies twice your size. This is the wine. Only it's not a facade. You actually end up believing the truth that you can take on enemies twice your size. There's, there's, there's no hangover to this alcohol. So one of the um, one of the outcomes or uh, indicators that there's a legit revival or outpouring going on throughout all of history has been people um, acting a fool. And I'm not saying they're mustering it up. I'm saying they got touched by the the, the wine bibber. they started to drink in some of the joy that was always meant to be theirs. This is not like a recent thing. This, it's documented through all these revivals and outpourings in history. People being caught up into great experiences of ecstasy and with great enthusiasm, with great enthusiasm you know, Grandma Moses ran across the church screaming to Jesus like, these are documented things. We, we just, 
We have to be in it in agreement that we're in it for whatever it looks like. And say, say whatever you want, Lord. We give you full reign in this room and in this church, whatever it looks like. Would you free us from that control spirit? Sorry, I'm going in and out of praying and preaching. Just hang with me. Just receive. Um, Jesus, would you completely free us from that control spirit? We want to actually experience um, what you believe to be outpouring and revival in a city. Father, and we want it to carry on. Jesus, would you infect us with that cry of old Habakkuk? who shouted out, Lord, we've heard of your fame. I've heard of your fame and I stand in all of your deeds. Would you renew them in our day and in our time, make them known. In other words, Jesus, we've studied up. We've heard that this stuff happens. We've heard that you, uh, you do mighty deeds. You heal people. You turn cities upside down with your love. But God, we've never actually seen it firsthand. And so like Habakkuk, we want that. 